The Queerly Radio Show with Rob Gillett. Hello and welcome to the Queerly Radio Show podcast with me, Rob Gillett. On this episode, I'm joined by YA author Eric J. Brown. His debut novel, All That's Left in the World, has just been published. It's getting fantastic reviews and he joined me to talk all about it. Eric, welcome to the show. I always like to start by asking, how are you and where in the world are you? I am wonderful. Thank you for having me. Um, I am in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the U.S. And is that home for you? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I actually kind of, I grew up in this area. Um, I've lived in Philadelphia for, I think, a long time now. I think <laughs> at least since 2009. So I'm not great at math, but. Okay, so it, so it, yeah. <laughs> it feels like home at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I live in um, I live in this neighborhood called West Mount Airy, and it's in Northwest Philadelphia. It's it's still the, in the city limits, but it feels like a suburb. It's quiet. It's got a lot of green space and everything. It's nice. nice. I like it out here. Very nice. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk all about your wonderful debut novel, All That's Left in the World. Um, just as a way of getting into that, what's the setup? All right. So uh, it is about Andrew and Jamie and. They are two teens who have survived a super flu pandemic that has destroyed most of the world. I think about like 80% of the world's population is dead. Everyone they've ever loved and known is dead. And they come to meet each other. Andrew is injured and for some reason, Jamie doesn't want to just turn him out on his own. So he kind of helps him and helps him get back on his feet. And uh, then they go out in search of civilization, just kind of down the eastern seaboard of the United States. And it's just about their their uh, kind of, it's a survival story, but it's also a kind of slow burn romance with them as well, because they're starting to realize they may have feelings for each other as they're traveling. Um, I'm really interested to know uh, what came first, the idea for all that's left in the world or COVID-19? So it was actually the idea. I had I'd actually wrote this first draft of this book in 2015, and um, I got my agent with it in 2019. Uh, the The first draft of it was very rough. Uh, the entire second half is completely new. Um, it I knew when I wrote it that there was something wrong with it, but I couldn't figure out what it was. So it just kind of sat on my computer for a bit, and then in 2019. For some reason, I just kept coming back to it, and I got laid off in 2019 from my job, my like full-time job, and I was just, when I was in between things, I said, you know what, I'm gonna just take my time now, and I'm gonna really kind of finish this edit. So I finished it out, sent out my query, and I got my agent with it in 2019. We did some more edits at the end of 2019 and decided we were going on uh, submission with the book in 2020. So basically, in February of 2020, we sent out the book and it sold on March 13th, 2020, which was the Friday before Philadelphia first locked down for COVID. Oh, so wow. it was it was a very strange time. And then also editing the book during 2020 was pretty rough as well. So, so you do because you do was, you do make some references to the pandemic in the book. It's, it's weaved in. This is something that my editors and I talked about. We, when we first kind of started editing it, um, it was already pretty much three months into uh, the pandemic. So we kind of had this 
real world experience now. And my US editor said this may have been like we probably could have kept all of these details that are in this book currently. But now that we have lived through this or we are continuing to live through this, we have to figure out what feels real and what feels like it's fiction. And sadly, a lot of it was in the original draft, the world had a more cohesive kind of response to the pandemic. And we have learned that that does not happen. <laughs> so a lot of it kind of turned into some countries in the book, some countries are working together. Some countries are off on their own, especially America's on their own. And America's just about trying to get back to normal and ignore the virus, which is happening here. And it's just, it was one of those things where I guess I was too optimistic on things. So we had to figure out how to take that realism and the real responses to a pandemic and put that into the book. But then I also, it was a balancing act because I didn't want to basically copy paste everything that we're living through because we, it, it is a book. It's a fun book. It's supposed to be escapist, but I didn't want there to be, I didn't want it to seem like I was kind of trying to uh, make it like an opportunistic kind of thing where I'm like, oh, cool. I get to pull this from real life now because nobody likes that. Nobody likes that we have lived through all of this now. Yeah. So yeah. it was a very strange balancing act. I'm sure you didn't expect when you originally wrote it that you would have to go in uh, and make things worse. Like that seems slightly unexpected. I th I thought like when I first wrote it, I was like, oh, this will be fun. I I wanted it to be. Um, so I was when I, the reason I wrote it was because I was um, I was walking the uh, watching The Walking Dead at the time, and there were no gay characters, and they have changed that since. But I was just so annoyed that all of these characters they were running into were straight people in the zombie apocalypse. And I think queer people, I think we would absolutely survive the apocalypse. I think we're better at surviving than probably heterosexual people would be. So I basically wanted this story about queer kids in the apocalypse surviving, and it was supposed to be escapist fun fiction. And then all of a sudden the pandemic happened and I went, oh, I have to really draw in some real stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I think the book is described officially as a queer romance, but uh, to me, that doesn't quite cover just kind of how action-packed and, and full of thrills it is. Um, is kind of blending and bending traditional genres something that you enjoy? Absolutely. That's kind of my favorite. I, I, anytime I see a movie, TV show, or I read a book or anything that has where it starts off in one genre and then all of a sudden spins off into other genres or like branches out, but still has that main baseline of the genre. I love it so much. I think that's what like um, stuff like Jordan Peele, he does that so well where I even saw that when in the comedy show Key and Peele and he would, they would basically make these, they're all comedy sketches, but he would also take genre fiction and put those in there sometimes. And he does that with his movies where he is making a straight up horror movie, but then he also can throw in science fiction or comedy and kind of like blending all of these elements that maybe shouldn't work together, but really do. And 
I think that it just depends on what genres you're blending in. So like horror and comedy go well together because they are the same thing, basically. Like with comedy, you have to have a setup and a punchline. And it's the same with horror where you have to have a setup and then the punchline is the jump scare or the something that like happens that terrifies you. And then I think that a thriller kind of lends itself to romance. And because it's like, when you're falling in love, it can be scary, it can be exciting, it's all of these things at once. And I think that you just kind of have that main baseline of, okay, this is a heightened state and things are scary, but it's kind of just a roller coaster. And you're like, okay, which way is this gonna go? Could it go bad? Could it go good? This is just how it is. So I love blending things just like that. I think it makes for like very dynamic storytelling, particularly in all that's left in the world, do you get these moments where uh, kind of Jamie and Andrew are having quite a nice, mellow, romantic time in what is like yeah. the disaster zone of the world? And then suddenly, you know, uh, a lion appears and yeah. <laughs> they've got to deal with that. So it, it's got, you, you can never fully relax into the romance because you just don't exactly. know quite where it's going to go for them. Um, so I really enjoyed that. I thought it was, it was uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of fun, although also quite tense at times. <laughs> Um, yeah. Okay, uh, we're going to break for a song here. Now, I understand that you have got quite an impressive collection of uh, disco compilations on vinyl. So I wondered if perhaps you could choose something from that. Absolutely. Um, so I would like to choose uh, You Make Me Feel Mighty Real by Sylvester. Hello, me again. I'm not Sylvester and I'm not going to sing. We can't play this song on the podcast. Anyway, if you are enjoying this interview, why not subscribe so you don't miss any in the future? Let's go back to Eric now pretending we've heard Sylvester. You make me feel mighty real. Sylvester on the Queerly Radio Show, where I'm joined by Eric J. Brown. Uh, Eric, you chose that song as something from this uh, collection of disco compilations you have on vinyl. Uh, just tell me a bit more about that. Why that particular genre and format? <laughs> I, I know it's not cool to like disco, but I love disco. I, it's so unapologetically queer. And I, I know in the 70s, all of a sudden it became hot. So everybody kind of invaded it and it faded out into obscurity. But I still love disco. I think there are some really great disco bangers. And I think that I sought out specifically compilations because I think that there's a, there's kind of this, I didn't want just all the same thing. So I, I know I, I do have Sylvester's entire album, like that, that step two that is, um, you make me feel mighty real is on, but I have this, um, this soundtrack from a, movie that was made i think in the 70s late 70s it's called the stud it's a british movie and jackie collins i think wrote the book yeah yeah or she the actor and then the actor was i think joan collins was in it and i i basically found that just like crate digging one day in this uh record store near me and i had never heard about the movie i had never even heard about the book and I started, I, the only reason I picked it up is because it said the stud on it. And I said, Oh fun, the stud. And I started reading, I'm like, Ooh, this is a disco compilation. And I bought it for like 25 cents and it's a surprisingly really good compilation. 
And I also went and watched the movie afterwards, which the movie is very strange. I wouldn't suggest everybody watch it, but not as good as the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I also have, um, I got this. So my partner uh, travels a lot for work and he goes to a lot of like small towns in America and like, especially in the Midwest and everything. So when he is in a small town, he'll go to a record store if they have one and just see what they have. And one of the things he brought me back because nobody in the Midwest wants to listen to disco apparently, <laughs> um, he brought back a Studio 54 compilation album, which was all pre-mixed and it has such great songs on it. And I think he bought it for like maybe 25 cents. And I looked it up online and they're all going for like $50 or something like that. So I just, I think I, he got lucky with that one, but that was disco compilations are like the new Bitcoin. Oh, maybe. I mean, <laughs> but then I'm just going to end up keeping them all because <laughs> I, I put, I have a record player in this, my, the room that I call the library because that's where all, I put all my books on the shelves and everything. And we'll just kind of be like hanging out in there. And I just kind of love the, if we have friends over and we're entertaining, I just love the uh, ability to tell my friends, oh, go pick out an album and we'll just listen to like one side of it and then I'll put on the next person's album. They never pick the disco. I'm always the one who picks the <laughs> disco songs, but I just like that format because it is, it's more of a social thing. It's not just like queuing things up on Spotify. It's an actual physical thing that, we're kind of choosing together, we're putting on together and yeah, I like it. Well, that thing happens with like Spotify where initially people are quite engaged with it and maybe adding songs and then everyone just forgets and Spotify's yeah, exactly. like robot takes over and just plays songs that no one's thought about, which is quite yeah. um, impersonal. Um, okay, uh, All That's Left in the World has been out for about a month now, I believe. Um, what's the reaction yeah. been like so far? It's actually been great. I am kind of surprised. I just, I was terrified when it was coming out because I thought nobody would want to read it. Uh, I was worried that people would say, why would I even want to read a book about a pandemic when we're still living through a pandemic? And a lot of people though have said that it's actually cathartic because it's, it is a romance and it's a thriller, but it's also, it has some funny parts to it as well. So I think that people are kind of finding a little bit of comfort in Andrew and Jamie's story, even though it's the worst possible scenario for them. Um, there's still something cathartic about reading, I guess, the worst possible scenario and then us kind of having a vaccine and being able to almost go on to kind of a normal existence of what we thought it was before. But yeah, I'm, I've been very surprised. I thought it would be a lot of people who would not want to read it and would just hate it. So I'm very thankful at everybody who has been leaving kind reviews on Goodreads and on Amazon because it just, it really makes me feel like it's actually, I've actually accomplished this, which I really didn't think I was going to be able to do. Allows you to relax a bit. It's also um, all over Instagram and um, TikTok, which you've yeah. recently joined. Uh, how are you finding it? I, I feel like you're having a lot of fun on there. <laughs> I am, but it's also, TikTok is a strange creature because it's the only 
social media platform that rewards um, no effort, basically. <laughs> so anytime I put effort into a video and like I, there was a couple that I was like, ooh, this is a great idea for a video. I'm gonna do this. And then it was, I would film it, I would edit it in my computer and all of a sudden it would just, I'd post it on there, I'd put captions in, like not just their generated captions, but also their like putting the, um, like I would actually like create a website that, or not create a website, but go to a website that created captions for you and upload that, I would get maybe 200 people to see it in like five likes. And then I can take a video of the cover of my book, put a block of text explaining what the book is about and say it's available on Amazon and I have like 10,000 views on that. <laughs> so it's very strange. It's hard to figure out what works and what doesn't, but I think that's kind of what makes it fun is just, it is a little experimental. Yeah, it's, a, it's a nice surprise when something does well. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, I like social media is my job and TikTok is still very much in the learning phase for me. But yeah. yesterday I got, it was something I did for a, for a client where it was a real like zero effort thing that yeah. came to me took about five minutes to find what I needed to do put it together <laughs> put it out and it's become like the best performing post on Instagram we've ever done and um I should so be pleased weird. but I'm really annoyed because <laughs> me too. Like, I get annoyed too <laughs> I said I, I said I tweeted yesterday I said uh, like whatever anyone tells you social media is just a case of throwing like enough shit at the wall and hoping some of it sticks yes. <laughs> uh, and anyone that tries to like, tell you anything different especially people that charge you for that um are actually charlatans but um, <laughs> I shouldn't say that because it's um yeah very much turkeys voting for Christmas for me um I noticed over the weekend uh on TikTok uh, you were you had a push for the sequel to all that's left in the world um what do we need to do to make that happen <laughs> uh buy the book just buy the book go up to go to your library request it from a library um i think even checking it out and then checking it back in helps too um but yeah just basically just buying the book because it's it is selling well and but i think when they bought the book it was always kind of decided it was going to be a standalone and i had always written that last um chapter as a little open-ended so i it is a satisfying ending if there is no sequel i will say that um but people got connected like really connected with these characters and they want to see what happens next and i do know what happens next i just need the publisher to want it as well. So as soon as they ask me for it, I will write it. But I think that if they're happy with it being a standalone, I'm happy with it being a standalone too. So I think- I should point out that I said you launched a push for a sequel. It wasn't just you doing that off your own back. It was because well, you're getting asked so many times. <laughs> yeah, that's the main thing. Cause I, I actually had to add something to my, um, my website under the frequently asked questions, which is very fun because I only had like one or two there, it was about like just contacting me for um, like interviews or arcs. And then the other one was if I was ever gonna be asked to blurb something and that was it. But now I've been getting a lot of messages asking for a sequel. And so I was able to add that on there. And, so, and that's when um, I decided, you know what? I'm gonna see if this is something I can 
kind of market on TikTok because TikTok does sell books. It's one of the few things that is really selling books, like ads on Twitter and Instagram. They don't really sell books that much, but this is something that has been proven time and again that TikTok will sell books. So I was like, you know what? If people want a sequel, I'm gonna see if I can sell more books by just talking about wanting a sequel. So I'm hoping that kind of comes across somebody's for you page and they go, okay, well, let me see what this book's about. Oh, this does sound good, cool. Maybe I will buy it. And then maybe somebody who has read it will post something and they'll see that again. And then another person, another person, that's how basically these things pick up. So yeah, I'm gonna be posting every single day hoping that somebody wants a, a sequel, so. Well, I've got everything crossed. I've got everything crossed that it happens. Um, yeah. Now, we're reading a lot in the news here in the UK about uh, book bans in the US, uh, the don't say gay bills that are, that are being proposed and being passed in various states. Has any of that affected you and the book? Um, it has not affected me yet. I think my book is a little too new. Um, it also may not be popular enough yet. I know that they target specifically, um, they when they first started doing this uh, last year, they cast a pretty wide net. I think they basically just searched gay books and put copy pasted everything. Um, right now, since my book was not out at the time, it is not being challenged. And I am, I'm waiting for that to happen because there is plenty in there for them to want to challenge. There's, it's a lot about um, kind of, especially the second half, is a lot about people who maybe are trying to do exactly this, which is wipe out any kind of idea of different human beings on the planet. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make it look like there are no queer people because they think that there are no queer kids. They think that this is, I don't really actually believe they think that. I think there's a very small portion of people that think that queer people are grooming children into becoming gay. And that's not how it works. Kids are born gay. And there's also an entire spectrum of sexuality. So the fact that these people are saying, oh, well, we need to ban these books because they're indoctrinating children, just means that they're scared that kids are gonna realize that they aren't that different, that they are valid and they don't want that because they don't want kids growing up realizing that there are gay people out there who are happy and living their lives. And I think that it's just, it's not new either. It's been happening for a very, very long time. And I think it just, right now, kids, teens need to be kind of aware that this has happened in the past and we've beat it then and it, it's gonna keep happening and you just have to keep fighting it. It's never gonna be something I think that goes away. It's always going to be there and we're always gonna have to fight for that, so. I suppose in, in some ways, you know, the fact that this is, you know, these, these things and these decisions have in no way gone under the radar now because the world is so much more joined up and there is so much yeah. discussion around it on social media and, you know, widely reported around the world. Um, hopefully that helps with some sort of resistance to it. Perhaps in the past yeah. things have just happened. No one's really been aware. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, so 
sorry, I've lost my order of questions here to make it um, make sense. So I'm just making it harder for myself because now I've got to edit that out. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, something I just wanted to ask you about uh, quickly, which is in your author bio, that you are, you live in a haunted house. Tell me more, please. <laughs> um, so... This, I live in an old house. It, it was built in 1895. Um, and we've been kind of just renovating it over the last, mm, we've been here about five years, I think. Yeah, five years. So um, it's a lot of strange things happen in this house. Um, there's, I have a dog and he, so like some, there was one morning, it was actually on Halloween morning and I hear him like playing with one of his toys. It was just a ball and it was just rolling across the floor. And I look up at the base of the bed and the dog is on the base of the bed and he is watching the toy roll across the floor. And he's like, oh, I'm just gonna stay up here and stay away from that toy. Mm -hmm. And it kept moving around. That was a small thing. And then the following year, we had a party. It was a holiday party. It was in December and we, Basically, I moved all of the chairs up from the dining room to a second floor bedroom that we just kind of use as a like laundry room. And all of the chairs were basically in front of this door that leads to a pass through into the master bedroom. And there are two doors there that to that little lead through and both of them are closed. The uh, bedroom door is closed. The master bedroom door was closed. And I get home from work and my dog is just missing. I have no idea where he is. And so I'm walking around calling out for him. I like check the security system to make sure that no windows have been opened or anything and everything is clear. And I hear his little toes tapping against the floor somewhere in the house. And I'm like, where is this dog? So I open the master bedroom door, walk around there, and I open up the pass-through door, and he is basically trapped in the pass-through, and I have no idea how he got there, and somehow managed to close every door along the way, because these are all doors that were shut and latched. Like, it's not like you could push them open. That's so and he was just hanging out in there all day. And then the other side, it was just entirely blocked by chairs. So I know he didn't go in that way. I still have no idea how it happened. And for a long time, there's a movie. Oh, I forget what it's called. Helen Hunt is in it. And it is about these kids. There's something called frogging. And basically, it's when people break into your house and live in the attic and live in your house while you're not aware that they're there. And for the longest time, I thought somebody was doing that in my house. <laughs> And oh, I like my. would walk around and check all of the rooms. I check the attic, the basement, and I still to this day have no idea how all of this happened. So I just assume it's the ghosts. And then I also have a friend who is a psychic medium, and she has said that there's four ghosts. Oh, so okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, this might turn into a book at some point. I suppose that's a uh, good way to I think it. So. <laughs> um, have you uh, read the book? Uh, it's a book called Girl in the Walls by A.J. Ganusi, I want to say. Um, and yeah. that, is, uh, that is about um, this, uh, this girl, a uh, little girl loses her parents in a road accident, I think, um, gets sent to like an orphanage and then runs away back to the, her family home only for a new family to move in. So she, uh, she manages to live inside the walls and knows like the whole oh, wow. of the kind of 
internal system of this house and gets away with it for a very long time. So that could that could be another explanation uh, yeah, for you. <laughs> I don't know which you prefer. Um, okay, uh, we like to uh, obviously recommend new books on this show. It's why we talk to authors like you. Um, so I always like to ask um, from the people that really do know, uh, what, what books are you excited about at the moment? What's on your TBR? Um, there's so many. I... I'm reading, um, currently I'm reading Boys I Know by Anna Gracia. Uh, it is a, it's this um, sex positive YA about a Taiwanese girl who, Taiwanese American girl who um, is just kind of trying to figure out the difference between love and sex. And it's like, the voice is so amazing and I immediately connected with this girl because I just feel like so many teens have probably or are living through exactly the things that she is going through right now. And it's so funny and it's so sweet. I'm loving it. Um, another one is The Loophole by Nazca Tube and I actually got to blurb that one. It is it's one of those books that has so much voice and so much soul that like it's 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 a wild ride. It's about that uh, there's a genie who's drunk and she may or may not be magic and may have wishes. We don't really know. They're very unreliable. And it's about this gay Muslim teen who is basically on a cross country trek to find his missing ex-boyfriend. And it's such a wild ride that it's really anchored by Nas's voice and just so much heart and I loved it so much. Um, another one is A Little Bit Country by Brian D. Kennedy. It comes out in May, the end of May next month. Um, and it is about two queer teens who are uh, working at a Dollywood-esque theme park during the summer and they're falling in love. It's a really cute story. And oh, I have so much. There's This is Why They Hate Us by Aaron Aceves. How to Excavate a Heart by Jake Arlo. Uh, I am really excited to read um, Nothing Burns as Bright as You by Ashley Woodfolk. It just came out last week. It's a novel in verse. Um, yeah, I have I have so many books I want to read, and there's not enough time not enough to time. read all of them. Yeah, the, the perpetual quandary we find ourselves in. Um, thank you for those <laughs> recommendations. I have yeah. the same issue because I asked that question. Every time I do an interview and then it adds to my list <laughs> of books to get through and then people to speak to as well. But it's um, it's fantastic. There's so much good stuff out there. Um, nearly time for us to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are worse problems you could have. Um, yeah. yeah. Nearly time to go. Um, what, what are you currently working on? What can we expect next from you? So I am currently working. I'm editing um, my next book. We... I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to talk about it, but I pitched it as uh, Empire Records in an old folks home instead of a record store. And for anybody who does not know, Empire Records was a movie that came out in the 90s with Liv Tyler and I think it was Renee Zellweger's first or second movie. Um, it was either that one or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre one was her first or second. But it's just about these, this group of teens who work in a record store and it all takes place on one day. My book does not take place in one day, but uh, it's about a group of teens who work in an old folks' home or servers in an old folks' home. Um, and it's actually based on my after-school job in high school because it is just, it was such a quirky 
work environment and the people I worked with, I ended up like you kind of the people you work with, you end up being friends with them, even though you may not have that much in common outside of work. It's just this one thing that kind of tethers you all together. So I was able to get this diverse cast of characters and make them all kind of interact in fun ways that there's like also quirky old people, which is very fun to deal with. Um, and I just kind of wanted something that was different from all that's left in the world. So there's no apocalypse. And my editor was even talking about how she loves that with all that's left in the world. It's just these two characters in a sprawling location. And in my next book, I have maybe 30 plus characters in one tiny location. So she just loves the kind of difference there. And I hope people like it as well. I hope that they stick with me, even though it doesn't have to do with any, it's, no, it's not a thriller, it's more just a coming of age comedy kind of workplace drama thing. So hopefully people like it. Well, it sounds great. Um, usually when people say, I'm not sure how much I can say about this, they tell me absolutely nothing. So that was quite refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> got quite a good idea um, of what's coming. You, I gave you enough, but there's still... <laughs> We don't know what it's called. That's always the one where people go, oh, yes, I'm not supposed well, to tell you that yet. The other thing is, I don't even know what it's called, so <laughs> we're still working on the title. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, Eric, thank you so much for taking your time to talk to us. All that's left in the world is out now, and uh, I guess we'll keep people posted on that sequel. Um, <laughs> and they can hunt you down on TikTok to support that campaign. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for your time. And uh, hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Yeah, thank you for having me. The Queerly Radio Show with Rob Gillett.